0: In the 21st century
1: Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Markets is brought to you by Dawson Tire & Wheel, your premier ag tire & wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is a wealth of knowledge, and he's on here every week. And I'm glad that he is because he's he's got, a, got the, his ear to the ground, and he hears all kinds of stuff coming down the down the rail here. And this week has been a, been a crazy week, man. This coronavirus has got people all kind of stirred up and you know markets kind of responded yesterday because supposedly they found the new some sort of cure or some way to kind of head it off a little bit um and, and bring it back down to some manageable um numbers i'm still kind of concerned with the information that comes out of china because we saw it happen with uh or is happening still with uh, african swine fever and they've got people locked up in their in their houses and cities the size of new york so it makes me wonder that it might be a little worse than what they think so I guess, Sean, uh, talk to me about what you see happening right now and, and the effects this market's having uh, because of this virus.
0: Well, in our report last that we came out this week, we kind of did an analysis of past pandemics. We've had them before. Right.
1: Um,
0: we get a couple of them every hundred years. Um, and so we just went back and said, what can we expect? You know, what, what, you know, we've been down this road before and what we found was regardless of government action Regardless of uh, cures or not cures, what we found was is that there is is certainly going to be a short-term economic impact and a short-term demand loss for commodities. That is clear. What is also clear, it's short-term. Uh, in each of these instances, we had two or three months of some pretty significant disruption. And this, and the these viruses burn themselves out over a two or three-month period, and then they just go away, and then. All this demand that was lost is pent up, it comes back, and we have a rip warring market later on uh, post outbreak. And so we would have to believe we're going to see the same pattern here. We're going to have a couple of difficult months with demand and with the you know, global economy and more stories about this, this outbreak is not in, contained yet, but then it's just going to go away. And from late spring, into the fall, we think we could have a wild uh, demand spike at a, at a time where we could have some weather problems, you know, here in the U.S. or over in uh, Europe or Russia. So we're pretty optimistic. There's a buying opportunity that's developing here. Uh, what we also found is that it's front end loaded. They usually price most of this in, Casey, about a month after the outbreak is understood. And so that tells us late February should be where the worst of it of any downside is going to happen. And and so we're pretty optimistic we don't think this is a game changer. we don't think this ruins the year. We just think that it's a bump in the road, but offers some some really good buying opportunities if you're on the buy side of the market and also will offer some great selling opportunities later on in the year so okay
1: so one thing we haven't talked about for a little while is the cotton market I read a few articles yesterday about um, Indian cotton getting kind of they at 650,000 bales they were supposed to ship over to China, and uh, 400,000 of those have gotten delivered, but 250,000 are yet to get there, and they're, they're delayed because of this, the coronavirus and stuff that we see happening over there. Um, the cotton market always seemed, obviously seemed to be a little bit fragile anyway, and we saw some upticks here and there, but here of late, it looks like the, the markets have been bouncing around a little bit. So talk about the cotton market a little bit and kind of what you see happening there.
0: Um you know every ag market has a certain seasonal pattern you know how they grow it how they harvest it where the demand comes from and and cotton has an uncanny um consistency of liking the top in the month of march um it's usually when we get a good idea of us planting intentions um it's just it's so so we've had this big big rally uh, as you know uh and, and and we have been sort of in this topping pattern this uh you know we got into the $0.70 cents and we just haven't been able to make forward. And we're looking at the calendar here, you know, and we're not too far away from the zone where the market likes to typically uh, top out. And given our cotton prices are relative to competing crops that could be planted in the deep south, you know, we, we think extra acres are going to get in the ground. So we're kind of getting on the idea that, you know, one might want to be a seller in here, uh, Casey. We think, um, you know, this could be a period of, of at least, you know, a pretty good top for a while um, until we get into some summertime weather. So we'd be very mindful of any rallies to sell. If you're a cotton producer, you think this is the wrong time of the year to be overly bullish. And, of course, cotton is economically sensitive. We're going to have some demand problems for a little while. So cotton, to me, just seems like a market that's run out of gas here. So.
1: Okay. So there's been tons of talk and speculation and all this stuff about how they were going to how how this coronavirus is a is a great out for the Chinese to not uh, continue on at least immediately anyhow whatever they need to buy at this particular point for phase one to continue um, so you've heard that back and forth I'm not necessarily buying it I think that's more just uh, the news cycle needing something to talk about and and just some something else for them to to, to do I, I really believe China's wanting to make this thing happen and and you know they, they're feeling the hit and the squeeze over there just like everybody else is. And then you throw this virus on top of that their their GDP is just going to start to shrink you know obviously it's just going to be their economy is just going to go um, down and down and down so I guess as you take a look at, at what's what's going on. What, what do you feel like some of the high points are going to be out of this initial phase one thing? What do you think has the biggest chance to really jump up and take off running?
0: We think ethanol okay. uh, is one of the markets that we really think could be a sleeper. It's, it's talked about a little bit, but not that much. We know the Chinese want to use a lot more ethanol in their fuel. They've chopped up from all their garbage corn to, do, to make the ethanol that they could, and they're running out of the garbage corn. And so we feel that, given that the U.S. is a very good producer of ethanol, we know how to make it and we do it real well, that we think that that would be a market they would have a real reason to buy. Um, and, and we think that they, they'll come in when, I think, February 15th, from what I understand from the agreement, is when they're supposed to start this buying of the various commodities that they want to buy. We think ethanol will be a clear a market that could really take off. And even though that's not buying corn directly, it is in fact, buying corn directly because if they buy a bunch of ethanol and the ethanol producers have to make more, they'll bid up corn domestically. And I actually prefer domestic demand because it's good for bases, it's good for local farmers than than exports. So to me, I'd really keep an eye on the ethanol market. We think there could be a real shocker there uh, as we move into the spring. Uh, especially given that we have a much smaller crop this year for corn.
1: Yeah. So. With China's whole 2025 initiative they've got, they want to kind of transition over to more uh, renewable fuels, electric cars, those kind of things. Do you feel like ethanol might be have some opportunity, more more so in China than maybe in the U.S., as we start to kind of go down that, that electric car road uh, with, with, with this whole renewable fuel thing?
0: Well, they have a huge pollution problem. You know, we don't really have a pollution problem here in the U.S. We used to, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, 70 well, sure years didn't. ago, 100 yeah. years ago. You know, we had terrible pollution problems. We kind of cleaned their act up, but they have terrible pollution problems there. And so they're trying all kinds of different ways to clean up their air. I was over there a year ago, and I mean, everyone was wearing masks. It was a perpetual fog, and it wasn't fog. It was smog. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. So ethanol is clearly, and you know, I would even call it biodiesel, It's clearly going to be part of the solution Uh, that they're going to be deploying to clean up the rack, to clean up the air, Um, and even the sanitary problems that might have caused this canola virus. I mean, they have a lot of work to do to become a first world country in terms of cleanliness and pollution. So we cannot imagine that they're going to be walking away from ethanol anytime soon. And the two most prolific producers of ethanol are the U.S. and Brazil. And I think they need both of us, you know, to solve their problem. They do not have enough capacity within the country to do it. So yeah, you know, everyone's bearish in ethanol. We're very optimistic because we do think it's the big story going forward. You know, it was a big story ten years ago when the U.S. was going after it. We think we are seeing China doing the same thing. You know, with ten years ahead, uh, so so we really like the ethanol industry here. We think a renaissance is coming, and um, and we and we think that the worst is over. So
1: right on. So one of the one of the uh, biggest hit, I'd say. I mean. Cattle, I guess, got hit a little bit hard, but the uh, the hogs have just gotten smacked around here pretty good since this coronavirus thing came out. This week, so far, there's been a record number of uh, of uh, of kills already. You know, we're already way up there, like forty nine thousand head have been have been uh, slaughtered this this week so far, um, in the first two days of the week, anyway. I guess talk about the the hog market, and and I mean that's just like a little engine that could sometimes, and then it's other times it's they leave it neutral, let it roll back down the hill. So, I guess. Talk about that a little bit and where you see that headed.
0: What's interesting is we went back and looked at how hog prices traded in past uh, pandemic scares. And it was always one of the hardest hit markets um, uh, because, you know, the U.S. obviously is a huge exporter of it. And, and especially now, because of African swine fever, we ramped up production to sell. And, and if you worry about your number one buyer is going to walk away for a while and you're still producing a lot, like you said, big slaughter this week, you know, you, you kind of reach this air pocket and and the market just, um, you know, falls apart. What we did know from past crashes that um, uh, a V the bottom typically takes place once the outbreak, uh, we move beyond the peak panic of the outbreak. And so it's probably one of the best uh, rebound opportunities out there is the hog market once we get through whatever final panic phase we have to get through here over the next whatever few weeks or so. But we think the V bottom because no matter what happens, they still need the pork. Uh, right. They still have to buy the pork, and and then I saw that you know looks like bird flu is it resurfaced. Yeah, again. I heard that. Yeah, and it, remember one of the things that's been kind of helping them out is they've been producing a lot of chickens over there. Uh, you know, I think their chicken production is up fifteen percent year over year. But if they got to scroll around slaughter it, you know, getting rid of a bunch of, of flocks like they may have to do, and no one in China trusts domestic chicken production. And they start, well, then they, that means they even mean put even more protein from, from outside. So there's a, there's a big trade here, uh, Casey, in, in, in hogs. I know I've been saying that for a while and it's never going to happen, and, but, but based upon the pattern of last pandemics that we've seen, hogs are always one of the hardest hit, but always one of the biggest rebounders post uh, panic. So we, we really think there's an opportunity here. Our smart money algorithm uh, has already shown some pretty bullish behavior on the initial break. And we're really looking forward to seeing Friday's data. We think we could have a massive buy signal here. So we're really constructive that the hog market has seen the worst of it. It's just a question of when we get this. We kind of look at it like the cattle market last year, the Tyson fire, but yeah. it crashed and burned. Yep. And then we had this B bottom. We think hogs are set up just like that market was last year for a different reason. So,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I tell you what, there's, there's, the hog market is, is one of those things that is, uh, I don't know that it can get a whole lot worse. I mean, I know it's been a lot worse, but I mean where it's at trading at right now, it's it's almost like it's a like an artificial number almost. You know, there's really no I mean, yeah, I know we have a lot of a lot of supply, but there's so much demand out there that it's it's hard to believe that we haven't
0: and, and even taken the USMCA that we signed, which is gonna mean you know, more Mexican purchases of they're another huge buyer of our of our pork. I mean, yeah, it just it's just a panic. Right? Yeah. A panic is irrational. It's irrational, and, and that but that's one of the opportunity lines. There's no, I mean, you would never get this shot. If we have something like this take place, and it is part of the history of the hog market to do this. So it's not like, you know, it, it's it's expected the hog market would do this based upon how it's traded past pandemics for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy ride, man. Hog market's yeah. been bouncing all over the place. Um, yep. Let's see. one more thing I'll talk to you about. I think I wanted to talk about wheat for a minute. I think wheat is. Uh, I mean, there's some there's some pressure on wheat right now. I have to see how things come out. You know, with, we had some planting issues this year, getting stuff planted uh, in the in the wheat belt, and then we've we've had some some fairly um, cold weather that's kind of hovered over some of the of the wheat belt, and some frosts and freezes and stuff like that <clears throat> that have come along i've talked to several guys uh that down in the, like, the texas panhandle and they're uh talking about the lack of cows that are actually out on on wheat stubble or wheat grass right now uh uh, uh through uh wintering through uh through the winter here and and you know you just take a look at what's going on in australia you know, the stuff that's happening in the black sea region and they miraculously found a bunch of grain they didn't know they had and then you got all this stuff and going on like egypt right now they're talking about basically that they're just marginally up in the in the uh in the acres that they've planted. So, I don't know, it seems like there's uh, some pressure there, maybe, but not enough certainty to know what to do, I guess, in the wheat market.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're long-term bullish the wheat market. We have been long-term bullish the wheat market. We have been warning in recent weeks of a top, short-term top. Uh, We reached some really important overhead resistance. Um, You know, we were trading the lack of exports coming out of Russia, which seen like i said all of a sudden there seemed to be some increased supply that magically came out of nowhere apparently um it's just a long time of the year for the wheat market to rally we always talk about seasonals of cotton and other markets it likes to correct into the early spring um and so it's just time for a uh, a correction uh but we don't think this is it we think the bigger top is coming uh we think that when we get into the spring season a lot of um Warm, dry weather in the U.S., especially in the areas that have already been impacted by wet, cold weather, are going to come back to roost, and um, and we're also very, very concerned that we might see some. We've been watching this um, this locust swarm problem going on in Africa, uh, in the Middle East, uh, in India, and of course, the Middle East is a large, large buyer of wheat. So we think there's a lot of reasons from mid-spring onward to be pretty bullish wheat again. We don't think it's we're there yet. And, of course, this this, uh, coronavirus is just another excuse to to sell the market when be vulnerable to be sold. But we think there's going to be an opportunity to buy the wheat market here probably in March. I mean, that's kind of our our general time frame. And we'll be looking for our smart money algorithm to kind of fine-tune when we're getting those readings to to get back in. But we're very optimistic we have more to go, just not right now.
1: Right. Sounds good. Well, Sean, plenty of stuff going on, man. Like always, there's a million things going on out there, and a million <clears throat> reasons to get a hold of you to figure out what's the best thing to do. So, if folks want to reach out to you. What's the best way to do that?
0: Uh, our website at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors um, is a great place to go. You know, we also, you know, people wanted to take a look at some of our, uh, you know, our report that we put out this week. Where we go over this these past pandemics. It's a pretty interesting report that. Is them an idea of what's going on. There's so much misinformation, you know, that might be something they wouldn't want to take a look at. And they can certainly contact us via email if they want to see that report.
1: Yeah. So. That report that he put out this week is a good one. I mean, I read through it, and, and uh, the, the uh, correlations between past events and what's going on now are, are so identical. I mean, just they're almost like a identical twins sitting next to each other. It's just there's a lot of good information there. So yeah,
0: I mean, It's startling. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Um, you know, they can just email us at Sean S H A W N at Hackett H A C K E T T advisors.com. We'll be more than happy just to send it to them on um, as you know as being a listener to your program.
1: Right on. Well, I appreciate that, Sean. Well, I'm Casey Seaman with the Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the podcast on anywhere you can find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, wherever. Uh hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at moving iron L L C. Also check out the Global Ag Network and all the other great podcasters out there. Um with that being said, I'm Casey Seymour for Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Pouring
0: iron in the 21st century.